Hi, Alejandro. Thank you for joining us at Pranusi and Co. Again, we had Thanks. some Thanks so much connection issues. Yes. Welcome. So do you want to just to tell us a little bit about what you do and your career so far so we can introduce you to the audience? Sure. Um, so I'm Alejandro Sinkovich. I've been working in product management for the past uh, 10 years. Uh, mm -hmm. as both a freelancer and a founder. Uh, as a freelancer, I worked in B2B companies, B2C companies, in leadership roles, as a senior product manager in different industries, SaaS, e-commerce, FinTech. And right now I'm launching a product uh, to the market. It's, it's a SaaS as well. Mm -hmm. So I've come across you on LinkedIn, which you now have managed to get back up and running. As I've realized this morning, True. did you have to contact the LinkedIn team overnight to get it back up and running? Yeah, I did. I did reach out and they respond pretty quickly. Um, they were not sure what happened, but they just, you know, set up the account up and running again. Great. So in your posts, you talk about new school product and old school product management. So how do you think in your experience um, since working in the industry, um, all those years ago in Boston that you've mentioned has changed to the way you see it now. Sure. So I think what, what has changed is that software is a consumer product now. And mm -hmm. it was not 25 or 30 years ago. And as software companies became more and more um, part of our everyday lives, they borrowed some of the elements of product management in consumer package companies like mm -hmm. General Mills or you know, Mars, Procter & Gamble. And, uh, and that's why we went from actually you know, asking experts what they need to trying to understand what the needs of the consumer are. Even, even in B2B products, we do it that way. So the new school is not completely new because some companies have been doing this type of product management for 15 years, but it's still not that common or prevalent outside of Silicon Valley or major uh, tech hubs in the world. And, and lots of companies have their product managers just um, go talk to the stakeholders, uh, gather requirements, and then implement, and that's it. Uh, and that's very different from... Uh, the new school, new school, quote unquote, where actually the product management has some responsibility over the product commercial success and the life cycle of a product. Um, so everything starts with, with vision and strategy. Mm -hmm. Great. So you also graduated from MIT and at the time you said that you got tired of writing functional product specifications and then you left the industry and now you're back and you're launching, uh, you mentioned, uh, Producanto uh, to support Correct. strategic needs. Pardon, Correct. Yes. Yeah, so I, I worked um, as a product manager um, after I graduated from MIT. It was not that common a, a position among MBAs at the time. Um, mm -hmm. And it also varied a lot from company to company. It so happened that I worked for a company that was VC backed in, in Boston. The founder was a Harvard alum, also worked at Microsoft, so you know, came from the industry. And yes, uh, all I did was write functional specifications. So there was no um, understanding of what the user problems were, et cetera. That was the job of, of the founder. Um, and after a while, I 
and I realized I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, uh, it was not a great job for me. So I did IT consulting for 10 years. I came back um, to do product management and yeah, and I found that things are different now and, and the job has become much more exciting at, at certain companies. Yeah, and Producando, it's, it's, it's a product. So it's based on my experience at, at Zalando. Zalando is a company that has lots of Amazon alums and at these companies, Amazon, Google product managers write a lot of documents because writing down your thoughts helps you better articulate what you want to do, communicate what you want to do. And there are lots of different templates used in different situations. Uh, the problem is people who didn't work at those companies are not familiar with those templates, what they are, when they should be used. Um, so what I did is I provide those templates, but I also gamify the process of writing the document and I added AI so that you basically fill a quiz and after filling the quiz, the AI will suggest, um, uh, you know, what the paragraph should be. And from there you can, you know, you can take it over and correct it and share it with your team, etc. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that the AI is not chat GPT. It is. Yeah, it is. So it's, it's, it's open AI's, uh, it's one of the open AI's API. It's not the latest, uh, mm -hmm. uh chat GPT. I, you know, last time I checked a few days ago, there was no API yet to chat GPT three. Um, mm -hmm. that may not be the case now, but, but it's one of open AI's interfaces. Yes. Cool. So basically you've developed a product for product managers by product manager, which gives smart templates to help product managers to work on strategic initiatives and save them time. And the, the templates are custom made based on the quiz for specific industries that, that those product managers are working in. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Correct. So, yeah, exactly. So how would you, so I know that you help also as a freelancer and a product lead and chief product officer in different businesses and in various industries, sectors to achieve high returns. So how would you, um, how would, how would you recommend somebody I guess what, how do you define a successful product launch? And like, where would you start? Sure. Well, um, success sometimes is a bit elusive, but, but a successful, to me, a successful product is one that um, delights users and, and where the companies whole also are able to capture some of the value generated for the users for, for itself. Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 uh, and a widely successful product is one that generates massive adoption and the company is also obviously able to capture the value. Now there's, there's something a bit elusive about those very successful products. Um, but what we do know is that we follow a process. We're more likely to, um, launch those successful products. And, and even after launching them, we're able to, um, improve them, enhance them and, and extend their, their, their life cycle significantly. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. And you, so you've also mentioned that we are now going into the golden age of product management where you can, somebody can just write an MVP or prototype, validate your, achieve, uh, validate your idea, and then find like in, initial customers online. Do you want to talk me through that? And ultimately, where do you see the future of our product management industry going? Sure, sure. So first about that, the barriers to entry to, to launch a product um, are much lower than in the past. I, I can talk out of my own experience. I launched a product um, about uh, six or seven years ago, and it cost half a million 
uh, and it took more more than a year, almost two years. And now I'm launching a product, and it, it has cost me two thousand, uh, so less than one hundred times what it cost a few years ago. And it only took uh, four months. Of course, I'm not taking into account my own time. Uh, if I added my time, maybe I don't know, maybe anywhere between twenty and thirty thousand um, dollars. But you know that that's why it's 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 the golden age because it's it's much easier for anybody to actually learn by doing to um, look out for problems, build some mini product, mini solution, launch it, promote it online, and learn from from the user um, reactions. And by doing so, you're going to learn a lot more than you would learn at a big company where maybe you're responsible for uh, one or two features. In terms of where product management is going. Um, I think that software is becoming uh, a commodity and and every company uh, will be a digital company to a certain extent. So every company will need more and more uh, product managers. And, and those companies over time, I guess, will learn that uh, you should manage your software products pretty much the same as your other products. And it's not, it's not uh, something where, where you just ask between the business, what they need, and, and just somebody implements it, but, but they'll have proper product managers that think holistically about that product and are responsible for, for the product success. And I think that's the future. Um, it will take time, but I, I would expect in 10 or 15 years uh, that that type of, of product management will be much more common because it's un- indisputable that you create much better products with that type of product management. Mm-hmm. How would you, let's say somebody wants to bring out a product um, tomorrow, or, or start rather tomorrow with an MVP, how would you advise them to validate their idea and figure out a need? Sure. Well, first, before building anything, there are ways to validate your idea. Um, um, sometimes by observing what, what people are doing. So let's say in my case, I want to know if people are willing to, to use templates. I, I can observe the marketplace and I see that people are using templates. They're not using this type of product templates, but they are using templates. And I see that um, one of the, the, the best well-known uh, uh, product people uh, that has a, a very, very well-known newsletter, Lenny, also um, has an article recommending product templates. So obviously there's an interest in product templates. Um, I don't need to build something to validate uh, the need for product templates. Now, the specific product that you build, uh, you know, the specific way that you choose to tackle the problem to validate that, well, obviously it's always helpful to launch an MVP. You can um, you can reduce the cost maybe by, um, by, by putting together a mock-up very fast and getting some initial feedback. But I think that um, once you've done your homework, once you, you, you take a look at the marketplace and you have elements to think that there is a demand for the product, you have to test a real thing. Um, and it's still an MVP, but it also has to have enough functionality to um, to make it attractive to people and to, to, to have people take it seriously because, you know, the expectations are extremely high, high these days um, because of all the products that are available for free on, on the internet. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're obviously somebody that has a lot of experience and like gravitas and um, you're probably known in the industry. Um, one of the posts that I saw you write was uh, the difference between high performing teams. So you've mentioned taking holistic approach where every member contributes to initiatives 
um, mistakes are shared and accepted as part of the job in comparison to low product teams where challenges are dodged and the preference is to play it safe and ultimately people to kind of take more compartmentalized approach. How would you, as a product manager, what, what advice basically would you give to like a, 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 a product manager that's starting out in terms of communicating that to the stakeholders? Because I feel like in um, British culture, maybe compared to American, people are more polite. And I feel like that personally takes away from getting a good product out there because people care more about the politics rather than the end result and the product. Yeah. So maybe what I'm going to say is not very optimistic um, in that it doesn't depend entirely on the product manager. So it mm -hmm. depends a lot on the company leadership and how they choose to empower or not to empower uh, the, the product teams. Um, of course, there's leadership. You can talk with, you can discuss uh, different approaches, but in the end, it will depend on, on how leadership uh, chooses to run things. Um, I mean, stakeholders in the end are also empowered, not empowered by leadership. Leadership says, look, do what the stakeholders say, or you're responsible for the product, you know, um, you know, decide, of course, you're going to talk with a lot of stakeholders, but in the end, you, you have to have a vision and, and you'll set the strategy, um, possibly with you, your supervisor. This doesn't mean that the individual contributor decides everything. Um, so to answer your question, you, you can discuss that. You can, you can, you can um, bring it up. You can talk about benefits, but, but in my experience, leadership is either um, convinced that uh, product teams can be empowered or is not. And if it's not convinced, then it's going to be difficult for the PM to, to convince leadership to, to follow a different philosophy. Mm -hmm. That's great. Do you have anything else that you want to mention that I haven't asked or haven't mentioned in terms of maybe things that come up in the industry or things that are most common misconceptions that you think people should be paying attention to? As yeah. One, one thing I get asked a lot by younger people who want to break into the industry is, you know, how do I get my, my first job? And mm -hmm. what I tell them is, look, be, be creative. So um, if there's a single entry door and, and the gatekeeper doesn't let you in, it doesn't help that you insist, insist, and insist. Be creative. Look for the side door. So what are ways to, to, to break in? What mm -hmm. we discussed. Maybe you can build a product yourself. Um, maybe you can help a friend who has an idea. Maybe you can approach a non-traditional company that desperately needs to build a, a digital product and it's much more it's much easier to persuade them to, to help them than than a, than a company that's already established in the industry maybe if you have a very strong background in something for instance um, when i came back to product management i broke into product management because i had experience in machine learning and recruiters were having a very difficult time finding pms with knowledge about machine learning so that that's another angle um, but basically um i would say it, it's better to get started rather than, you know, being applying for, for a year and, and not getting any results, then if, if that's the case, just go build something, you know, talk with, with, with somebody from a different background, help them build a product and, and you learn, maybe you create, you create your own job. So don't, you know, think about that. Think about creating your own job. Mm -hmm. One of your posts mentions that a lot of people in the industry are kind of um, 
thinking that the product develop digital product development will go through a revolution, but you're saying the revolution has already happened and people can be using no code tool approach, which can save loads of money on, um, which can cut development costs. Um, and you're saying like a lot of founders and designers and engineers alike should be paying more attention. Can you tell us a little bit? Because I felt like your uh, posts carry a lot of weight. And um, sometimes if you're like looking at from the outside and you don't see the whole picture, like you want to know more, which is why I like became interested and sure. I came across and, you know, like I like yeah. them. I like to have my house made in it. Yeah. Yeah. So some people are very dismissive of, of no code saying that it's, 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 it's a, a tool for MVPs only. It's a toy, um, etc. But that always happened whenever a new emergent technology um, mm -hmm. appear in the marketplace. And some no-code solutions are just one more layer of abstraction. That means they, they actually use code. It's just that you don't have to write code. You have to enter all the parameters without writing code. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, we've been doing that for 60, 70 years. Nobody writes code in ones and zeros anymore. Um, mm -hmm. So I personally believe that no code is, is, is great to test ideas fast and, and, and economically. And, mm -hmm. and I think that lots of people dismiss it either because um, they don't know it or they view it as a threat, but I think they should do, they would do well to, to pay more attention to what's going on because no code will also get better and better and uh, and and again, if you can launch a product five times faster and at one tenth of the cost, then it's it's a no-brainer. And then if the product succeeds, then you see how you scale it. Uh, then you add code. But uh, I think it's it's a very important trend, and most companies have not caught up yet. They dismiss it, dismiss it as something you know not serious yet. But I think it's something uh, to keep an eye on. What are the common things that you've come across when you um, advise people on products that they don't do in order to cut costs? Obviously, no code can be one of them. What are the others that are not looked at or considered in your experience? Well, I think one of the things, one of the problems is viewing product as a cost center. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily about cutting costs, but it's, 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 it's saying, well, this team costs me this much uh, per week, per month, per year, so I have to get the most out of it. They have to, you know, produce a ton of features so that each one of these features is is cheaper. Um, mm -hmm. But then, what often happens is those features create no value. Um, and I think what makes more sense is to view the product team and the product manager as, as a as a um, profit center that can actually take a product, take a look at different problems and challenges with the product and either increase revenue or cut costs. Uh, mm -hmm. And by doing so, they, they, you know, they have a very positive ROI. How you can cut costs, it depends a lot on, on the situation. Um, so maybe you can, again, I, I work with payment products. So a big issue is whether you get paid or not. Maybe you can do something relatively easy uh, and you get paid much more. So by, by, by cutting a bad debt, you, you, you get a great ROI, uh, or maybe you can adjust a payment product and you can do much more business. So you increase revenue. And that's the case with, with many products, not all of the products true. Some products are internally, it's, it's very difficult to make that equation. But I think that 
in general, um, many people still think about product as, as an IT department, a cost center, instead of viewing it as a profit generator. Mm -hmm. Understood. Um, in one of your posts, you also said that it's vital to regularly re revise the pricing strategy. And you said that you had a customer who saved um, 500K over a period of time while only being charged 10,000K. And the customer had a 5,000 um, ROI, and it was reminded as a founder and product person, it's crucial not to leave money on the table. Can you talk us a little bit more about that case study, unless you're on the NDNA? Well, no, sure. I obviously, I obviously felt really good about the customer, but bad about my, you know, what did I do? I mean, uh, you know, um, I, I just underestimated uh, how, how much value my product was creating. Um, mm -hmm. And this is not something I have lots of experience. I had that, that experience, but what, what people who work on pricing all the time will tell you, look, you take a lot of time to work on the features um, on the product and you take mm -hmm. no time to work on pricing and pricing is something that has to be revisited now and then uh, you have to see how much value you're creating i see and see how much value you can you can capture it's 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 a legitimate thing you want to be compensated fairly for the product you create so that you can continue to to innovate so that that case was exactly the way i told you i i the customer told me um, they were shutting down because nothing related to, to our product it was a strategic decision of, of their company. They said, well, now that we're shutting down, I can tell you that we, we save 500K with your product. And I mm -hmm. just felt extremely good for the customer, extremely bad about my own pricing strategy. How could I not see that? Um, mm -hmm. So again, I would suggest, you know, revisit the, the pricing strategy now and then. Um, maybe you're charging too much. Maybe you're charging uh, not enough. Uh, and I've seen both, th both, both, uh, um, both things. I've seen products that that actually um, shouldn't be shouldn't be a profit center by themselves because they they actually um, increase the consumption of a related product that's very profitable and they're priced too high. Um, and I've seen products like my my own that were really priced uh, too low and you know with no relationship with the value they created for for the for the customers. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's cool. Another thing that I found interesting is that you said that a lot of um, big tech companies, they real, they heavily rely on design systems. And you think that even though it's great when a company is first kind of starting out from a startup and then it accelerates growth, design system has it benefits um, ultimately, you know, in terms of, I don't know, tighter code and things like that. But what are the drawbacks? Because you said that when it's deployed, it leaves less and less room uh, for design outside the system. And without room or the need to design outside the system, creativity of craftsmanship kind of lose their appeal. I think the drawbacks are, you know, the well-documented um, things that happen to established companies, they get disrupted. Um, so, um, there are lots of benefits of following a design system. And once the product has been successful, there's lots of benefits of sticking to what you know works. But at the same time, what can happen is sooner or later, somebody, you know, somebody from the outside comes and disrupts you because uh, you've been sticking to what you know for, for too long. Um, I think again, you know, there are great thinkers like Clayton Christensen that address the topic, the innovator's dilemma, how, how you can, prevent that from happening. Sometimes they suggest setting up a smaller company that has the freedom to innovate while the bigger companies continues to do the same. Um, 
I think it's it's a it's a, it's a tough thing because there's there's it makes complete sense to use a design system. It makes complete sense to think inside the box when you have a successful product that that has the potential to be you know profitable for many many years. But at the same time, it's inevitable that that you will you know you will not see uh, um, um, uh, some threats that come you know that come from from unexpected unexpected places. Okay, cool. Um, I don't have any questions that I can think of right now. I feel like you answered my question. Do you have anything that you want to talk about? <laughs> no, no. So I, I want to thank you a lot, Christine, for, for reaching out to me and for for the interview and also for having read so many of my posts and, and you know, you asked very relevant questions. Um, <laughs> like I said, you know, anybody who's interested, I'm launching this uh, product in, in a week or so. It will be free. It will have a freemium layer, and I think it can really help product managers uh, get a sense of how um, how we work at, at big tech companies and how we work on those documents that are very helpful to creating uh, great products. Mm -hmm. Did you say it's going to launch in a week? Yeah, January thirty first. So I'm going to launch it through LinkedIn. Um, I'm going to post the link. My initial goal is really not to have everybody adopted, but rather, you know, gain anywhere between 30 and 200 users and, and actually improve it so that I end up having the cohort of very satisfied users. And then one that's not that happens here, yeah, then it's time to, to, to continue growing. But initially it's just about getting feedback. Okay. Well, I will then post this on the 31st. So, and Thanks then a lot. Launching your product. So that makes sense. Um, and then I will check it out as well. Um, and thank you so much for your time. And I feel like your posts on LinkedIn are one of the most high level, actually. Like you have high level oversight. Because my dad works for Forrester and he designs IT infrastructures for financial services. So you know how most companies are like in immaturity stage and some people are like designing design systems. You're like, I've been there, I've seen it. It only works for medium-sized companies. It doesn't work when you're too big. And I think that's kind of what's really missing. So it's been a real pleasure to ask you questions. Well, thanks. Thanks for the very kind words, Christine. It's been a pleasure, um, you know, doing this interview with you. Cool. Thank you so much. Have a good evening.